King Solomon, a possible author of Ecclesiastes, was looking for answers to the same questions we have. The author looked around his world and asked, what's the meaning of all this? The answer God led him to was a bit unsettling, but genuine. Life can feel meaningless at times. And this doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? So we might be tempted to think that maybe the author was just having one of those days when he penned those words. Yet, looking closely at what the author says, he could be right. The original idea behind the word meaningless is breath. The concept can become very tangible when we think of it like a cold day and we're outside when we see our warm breath vanish as we exhale. Is this an accurate depiction of life on earth? Is behind all the hustle and bustle, the sparkle and shine of life, really just an empty and fleeting existence? Are we grasping at thin air, hoping to catch something that will last? It does seem like we are constantly searching for more to fill our voids. We shop, we purchase, we stockpile and hoard all sorts of things. Why? Because deep down we're trying to convince ourselves that our lives, our lives are meaningful. Ultimately, it's an effort in futility. Solomon understood this frustration. Solomon had a grand collection of things and people. It was meant to bring meaning to his life, but it only granted frustration in the end. Can we learn from the author of Ecclesiastes? Learning is a reality of life. We need to keep learning. The problem is that I often learn lessons that I need after I've already failed the exam. So it's helpful as we look through the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes today. For in these words we find a teacher willing to give us answers before we finish the exam. In our lesson today, the teacher answers the question, what is the meaning of life? In this book, Human's Search for Meaning, the psychiatrist and neurologist Viktor Frankl wrote about his ordeal as a concentration camp inmate during the Second World War. Tellingly, Frankl found that those who survived longest in the concentration camp were not those who were necessarily physically strong, but those who retained a sense of control over their environment. He observed, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the ones who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. These folks may have been few in number, but they offered a sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a person. But one thing, the last of human freedom, 
And that is to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. Frankel's message is ultimately one then of hope, don't you think? Frankel believed that life and suffering can still have meaning even in the most absurd, painful, and desperate circumstances. Life in the concentration camp taught Frankel that our main drive or our motivation in life is neither pleasure nor power, but meaning. So friends, how would you answer if you were asked, what's the meaning of life? Your answer might differ from the person sitting right next to you, depending on your upbringing, depending on your education or socioeconomic status. With that being said, ask yourself, will your answer to that question get you through the most challenging experiences of your life? I wonder if we find true purpose and meaningful hope for our lives. I wonder if we can find the answer to those questions. Will the puzzle finally be solved? Will we finally fully understand what is the meaning of life? As I try to answer this question, I start with a few convictions. The first being that true purpose and hope are found in a relationship with our Creator. This begins when we remember we are the created, not the Creator, which suggests we have a Creator God engaged with us, engaged in this world. Another of my convictions is that even though we can find inspiration in many places, we should also seek the Creator's inspiration and engage in His words, engage in Scripture. The Bible has been a place Christians for centuries have trusted to learn a greater understanding of purpose and hope. I also have a conviction that as we grow in our understanding of the God of creation, we will learn to revere that God, to trust that God, and to trust that God's leading toward a more meaningful, purposeful, and hopeful life. Several 30-year-old friends reunited and discussed where they should go for dinner. Somebody suggested they meet at the Glowing Embers restaurant because the waiters and waitresses, they're fun, they're young, and they're beautiful. They all agreed. Fifteen years later, at 45 years of age, they met and discussed, hey, where should we go for dinner? Someone suggested the Glowing Embers restaurant because the food and wine selection are excellent. They all agreed. Another 15 years later, now 60, they again discussed, where should we meet for dinner? Someone suggested the Glowing Embers Restaurant because they could eat there in peace and quiet and the restaurant's now smoke-free. They all agreed. Another 15 years later, 75 years old now, the group discussed again, where should we meet for dinner? Someone suggested that they meet at the Glowing Embers restaurant because the restaurant is now physically accessible. And they even have an elevator now. 
they all agreed. Finally, 15 years later, at the age of 90, the same group of friends discussed one more time where they should meet for dinner. Someone suggested they meet at the Glowing Embers restaurant because they'd never been there before. <laughs> and they all agreed. It's incredible how things change as we grow older. Sometimes for the better, sometimes with a challenge. But here's the good news. We're not just killing time as we wait for the declining years. Those difficult years do not have to define who we are or interpret the meaning of our life. Ecclesiastes 12 points us in the right direction of how we should engage each day as we prepare for our future. A future full of meaning. Remember when it said, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And earlier in Ecclesiastes, before the passage that we read, it says, even those who live many years should rejoice in them. All yet let them remember that the days of darkness will be many. In other words, remember your creator before the days of darkness come, i.e. before you grow too old to enjoy them. The word remembering in the Bible means more than just recalling someone or something. It means responding appropriately. So to remember that the days of darkness will be many means enjoy the days of light while you can. To remember your creator means to follow God and learn to trust that God, desiring to follow how God seeks to lead. To follow a God who desires to lead you to the meaning of life before the storms and challenges come or through them. To remember the creator before worry and fear set in. Ecclesiastes 12.5 says, They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the desires fail, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Kind of a confusing passage. One commentary said it this way, or in other words, commit your life to the God, to God, before the fear of heights or traveling stops you in your tracks, before your hair turns white like almond blossoms, before you lose your mobility like a wounded grasshopper, and before your desires fail, literally before the capperberry breaks. The capperberry was an ancient aphrodisiac thought to stimulate romantic desires. So when the capperberry breaks, it fails to stimulate you anymore. Today, we'd say before Viagra stops working, remember your creator, which is a phrase I never thought I would say from the pulpit in a sermon. It's all about thinking ahead, wherever you are on the spectrum of time and age. Ultimately, our author's message is that life is 
about the length of a breath when you think of all of human history. It's just a vapor. So make it count. Make it count before it's gone. Specifically, commit your life to God. Because as Scripture contends, that gives your life meaning and makes life worthwhile. Back in 2019, Shiro Oguni opened a pop-up restaurant in Japan. It was like a lot of other high-end restaurants, except that all the wait staff had dementia. The owner explained his vision. Dementia is so widely misunderstood. People believe you can't do anything for yourself, and the condition will often mean complete isolation from society. We want to change society, to become more caring and easygoing so we can live together in greater harmony. In the kitchen, where Shiro and the chefs are cooking food, Shiro says, we open a limited period pop-up restaurant where all the wait staff are dementia patients. And what do we call ourselves? The restaurant of mistaken orders. The wait staff line up at the door of the restaurant, bowing as the customers enter the restaurant. Then they take orders and begin bringing the orders to customers seated at the tables. One elderly server had a delicious plate of food, which she offers to a guest who smilingly shakes her head, this is not what I ordered. And with a big smile, the server says, it isn't, oops, sorry, dear. Another waiter puts a drink in front of a customer only to take it back. Oh, sorry, that wasn't right. Oh, no, it was. Is it? I heard what you said, but I just can't remember. Another waiter needs help totaling the bill, and the customer kindly helps them with the math. There's an atmosphere of joy and smiles at every table as the waitstaff needs help getting the plates of food to the correct person and words of a gentle apology and confusion. Shiro says, our restaurant is stylish and serves great food. If your order was mistaken, you can just shrug it off with a smile and enjoy whatever came your way that day. The name, the restaurant of mistaken orders, allows our customers to enter with an open mind. They expect mistakes. So we're okay with it. It created an air of easygoing acceptance. I'm convinced that if our message became more mainstream in society, well, we'd become more tolerant, more open. The story that you can find on YouTube ends with a summary. 37% of orders were mistaken, but 99% of customers said they were happy. Isn't that a great story? It's even a better video. It's wonderful that all people can be productive, have meaning, have purpose. Knowing that gives our lives purpose and meaning. But why wait? But why wait till our faculties are diminishing? Why wait? Why not pursue, why not pursue true purpose and meaning now? Wherever you find yourself, Wherever age you are, find that purpose now. 
I believe if we want to find true purpose and meaning in life, we first, we first remember our Creator and then pursue God's leading. If we did, would we discover that the Creator of all things seeks to lead us? I think so. And what might happen if we were open to the inspiration of the Bible and let its principles begin to guide our lives? Would we gain security and peace? Would there be more hope in our lives? Ecclesiastes 12, 9 and 10 says, Besides being wise, the teacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs. The teacher sought to find pleasing words, and he wrote words of truth plainly. The author of Ecclesiastes believes studying human words might be exhausting, sending someone in many different directions. On the other hand, they believe studying God's word could be energizing as one realizes God's meaning of life and its hopeful purpose. Our scripture for today suggests that we seek true purpose and meaning in life by remembering our creator, seeking inspiration in scripture and learning to revere and pursue that God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says that the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, and for this the whole duty. This, for this is the whole duty of everyone. As one commentator wrote, I used to think that living in the fear of the Lord is like driving down the street while watching the police in your rearview mirror. Actually, a better picture of the fear of the Lord might be like a teenager driving who suddenly spots their parents' car in the rearview mirror. <laughs> Seeing that car back there puts them on notice to be on their best behavior, to use their blinkers and stop at their yellow lights and keep both hands on the wheel. But it also tells them that their parent cares, cares enough to follow them, it tells them that they are safe. The parent isn't trying to trap or trick them. The parent is trying to help them develop good habits, not just to be careful on this trip, but to obey the laws and stay safe until they get home each trip. It helps them remember they are driving independently, but not entirely on their own. Don't you love that? So it is with those of us who are seeking to follow God. The fear of the Lord means we live life with God always in our rearview mirror. We can glance up and experience genuine awe, a caring presence, and an unconditional love to guide us on our way. In another book of the Bible, in Hebrews, it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God but they are also the hands of a loving God. The true meaning of life then is not a meaningful existence filled with condemnation, judgment, and ultimate death, but a loving relationship with the grace-filled creator of the universe. Friends, our scripture today invites us to remember our creator, to pursue an understanding of who this creator is through the scriptures. And then to seek to follow this creator purposefully. It's my conviction 
And the conviction of the author of Ecclesiastes that this is how we discover. This is how we discover true purpose and meaning in life. So Meeting House Church, let's continue to pursue this question together. With God's help, what do you say?